Hello, greetings and welcome. This is Alchemy. It's great to have your company and I really hope you enjoy this week's episode. We're free and on demand as always from iTunes and alchemyradio.net and you're more than welcome to follow us and join the Alchemy community on Facebook or Twitter. We're easy to find and don't be shy. Just say hello and we'll get the conversation going. We exist thanks to your kind donations so a big thank you to everybody who does so via our website. We're completely non-profit and we'll be staying that way. Alchemy is of course the European media partner for the Free Your Mind conference. It's Free Your Mind 4 which is happening in Philadelphia in the US on April the 15th to 17th 2016. It's a conference on consciousness, mind control and the occult. The biggest conference of its kind anywhere in the world and there's an absolutely stellar lineup of speakers and guests in store for those who attend. Including but not limited to Jordan Maxwell Mark Passio, Jim Mars Max Egan, Mary Sean Young Cathy O'Brien, Freeman Ken Rolla, Laura Eisenhower, Josie Wells, Bob Tuscan, Jay Parker, Jamie Hanshaw, Janice Barcello, Mark Phillips, David Whitehead, John Vibes, Raz Ben, Derek Bowes, Mark Devlin, Josh Rooted and Ron Searcy. We have a number of those speakers on the show as guests between now and April 15th and Alchemy will be on board and in attendance at the conference as well. So that's something we very much look forward to. In the meantime then, on to the show. Alchemy. Alchemy. This week's guest is Jim Lawler. Jim is based in Ireland. He's an architect, a musician, a podcaster and a man. And this is a conversation that's going to come from a slightly different perspective to many of the conversations and discussions we have on alchemy. And I'll let Jim explain more about himself as we welcome him to the show. Jim, how are things? All good, John. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited about this chat, Jim. And it is a little bit different from the normal alchemy interviews that we do in that there's nobody with something to sell. And I I mean that in the nicest terms with regard to any other guest. But you don't necessarily have a book. You're not about to introduce something to the market. Market. There's no specific website. You do have a podcast, which we'll be talking about, but there's no specific website that you update on a daily basis that you're looking for traffic on. And it's fine if anybody has that. That is in no way um, a denigration of anybody who comes on the show and does that. But it's just different in that you don't. So essentially, we're two guys sitting here having a chat about life in general and what it throws in front of us and how we react to that. And as usual, it's going to be an organic conversation and we're not necessarily going to have a list of set questions. We're just going to chat. So I will ask you the question, Jim, that everybody has asked on this show when they come on first. How did you get from where you were to where you are now? Well, first of all, John, thanks a million for inviting me to speak with you today. I'm very, very honoured and um, excited to, to have a chat with you. Um, Little do you know that I actually am just about to write a book, and I uh, know I'm only messing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I just I suppose um, you know for the purpose of the, or contextualising this this chat, about um, I suppose 20 years ago when I was uh, at the process of leaving college, uh, studied as an architect, um, and I was transitioning into the you know the workplace. Let's say I began to realise that the the menu options that were available to me did not resonate 
uh, against how I kind of felt internally. I had a sense uh, at a very early stage when I entered, you know, uh, uh, the workplace, let's say, that this wasn't for me. You know, simple as that. I, I felt uncomfortable. I felt restricted, creatively stifled. And uh, I think I was just thinking on the way down here that within an, an hour or so of, of my first job, I was looking for an exit strategy. Wow. You know, um, th- that started, I suppose, the process of internal questioning. And I was mindful of the fact that over the previous 10 years or so that I had let my creative spirit lie dormant, I suppose. Even though I was studying architecture and I was about to practice architecture, I was beginning to see that it was more about ultimately becoming a business venture and that the creative side of it seemed to be put more and more to the fringe. And I suppose that was the initial thing that really excited me about being an architect was that it was going to transform uh, my creative spirit into something that I could, you know, leverage and and manifest. So um, the reality that, unfortunately, was that that seemed to be pushed to the fringe. So I went through a process of soul-searching, I suppose, and... I found that my real passion was, in fact, music, believe it or not. And I had been a musician all my life, a drummer in bands over, or throughout my teens. And I had just let that part of my life become dormant. And I suppose it was a bit of therapy, uh, you know, re-engaging with music. And at the time, the whole home studio uh, movement, I suppose, had begun to start with mm. digital technology in the mid-90s. And I just developed an interest in, in sampling electronic music and just the technical side of it how, how do people make this music I think Massive Attack was a big influence at the time and mm. I was going how do they make that music I just wanted to know just simple asking a question you know so this led me on to a journey of discovery in, into you know what it means to be creative and I suppose that was the spark that kind of ignited my curiosity in creatively making music simultaneously I, I, I was you know moving further and further away from the typical 9 to 5 lifestyle as a lifestyle choice and I, I over the course of four or five years I was developing a strategy to effectively work for myself and, and leave that workplace environment um, so yeah in you know towards the end of my, my late 20s early 30s I I had formed a music partnership with my friend Ben Rollins and we, we started a group and you know long story short I made the decision to to effectively leave my job and, and self-finance uh, the making of our first record, you know. Cool. Um, the name of the band is Sasso, and, and since then we've we've gone on to make five studio albums. In fact, uh, despite what you said at the intro, we're just about to release an album. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there is still a creative, non-commercial, let's say, creative side to what I do now. Mm-hmm. That's that's proven to be to be a, a, an amazing resource and um, you know form of uh, expression of my creative talents, let's say, which. Uh, to this day, you know, is something I'm very proud and, and humble about, you know. Um, so, yeah, moving forward then, just to kind of bring the conversation back to why maybe you're speaking with me. Um, throughout my 30s, let's say, moving into my, my late 30s, I had been drifting uh, in terms of my, you know, my understanding of current affairs, politics, to the point where I was just completely disinterested. And I had no real understanding of what was going on. And I didn't really care. Um, and that saddened me, I think. Mm. And when I, when I first became a dad, uh, um, I started to, I suppose, re-engage with, you know, mainstream culture and society a little yeah. bit. I, I started to ask a few questions. And one of the things that I was looking to change at the time was my, um, 
my health and wellness and my, my, my physical, my body as well. I, was, I wanted to be fit in my mind and my body, you know. Mm. And I think that was the next core shift for me, uh, you know, in the second phase of this was self-empowerment maybe, was to take responsibility for where I was in my life mm. and what shape I was in. And I wanted to be healthy, you know. I wanted to be not to be moaning and groaning, not to be kind of creaking around. So I wanted to try and achieve physical health. And I also, I suppose that inspired me to um, to look at every aspect of, of my, my, my life, you know. So that led me on, a, a, I suppose, a journey of discovery and loads of dominoes started to fall over. And, you know, hopefully we can start to, to look at those or, or chat about those now. Um, so to this day, I'm, I still work and practice as an architect, so I very much enjoy it. Um, work for myself, um, but I you know, some great clients and I'm involved in some, some very fulfilling projects. I also then continue to work as a musician in my spare time. And in the meantime, I also started my own podcast, which we can chat about later. So, yeah, I suppose that brings us up to date as to where we're at now. Yeah, and it's really interesting because so many people that we talk to on Alchemy, they have a number of creative outlets so they might have a day job so to speak and it, that, that's how they get by in the day-to-day reality of a world with a financial system such as is the case that we have but there is always this this itch that needs to be scratched and I'm speaking from personal experience with regard to that as well it's one of the reasons that alchemy came about as well so with regard to the spark that just made you I mean you, you mentioned that almost within the first hour of working you thought, right, how do I get out of this? Was it your introduction to the workplace and the reality of, right, well, I'm here for money and I need to service maybe potential loans or loans that exist or the financial system as it is? Was that the spark that made you realize that the world isn't necessarily this amazing Disneyland that we seem to think it is when we're being brought up and through school and through college we're always looking forward to the next thing there's always that carrot on the stick and then suddenly you're in the workplace and the next carrot seems to be retirement that's the next one presented and you just got to grin and bear it till retirement in a lot of cases was it that realisation when you entered the workplace because I <coughs> seem to gauge from what you were saying that it may have been yeah it's a combination of, of a lot of those things Sean um, I, I was mindful of the lifestyle that I wanted to live as opposed to what I wanted to do, you know? Yeah. And that, that became, I suppose, a was a manifesto of sorts that th- there was always that question growing up as, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? Mm. You know? And that it never really spoke to me about what kind of life do I want to live or what kind of person do I want to be? So I suppose I shifted the, the narrative a bit my radar internally was <clears throat> was saying, yeah, well, if I get this job and I earn this money, therefore I will have this kind of life, mm. where my observation of people who were living that kind of life seemed to be at odds with the reality of the situation. So I suppose the spark for me was trying to realign or, or recalibrate the question maybe and go, look, what kind of lifestyle do I want to live? And mm. for whatever reason, and, and everyone's different, some people enjoy the discipline of a, let's call it a nine-to-five uh, job, I seem my my optimal creative um, output seemed to be at odds with that. Maybe it was a, going to college. I was used to long nights and and early starts or late starts and early nights, and I just I never seemed to be able to work efficiently between the hours of nine and five. Let's say mm-hmm. so. No, I, I, hear I just you. seemed to be I, that constantly was grading with me. So I wanted to be in control of how my my creative output. So 
I was unable to reconcile working in an office environment against that. Now, look, this was 20 years ago, so that the workplace has changed significantly since mm. that, and with you know with remote uh, internet connections and, and all that, you know, there's a lot more flexibility for people now. So I understand that, but this is 20 years ago. There was no internet. There was very much a, a fixed mindset as to how you go about and do your job. And if you weren't at your desk, at a computer, or at a, a desk, or a drawing a drawing board, you're perceived not to be working. And I felt that as a constant pressure and something that I just was stifling me and I just didn't want to be in, in that environment so I really was looking to shift the perspective on on what I did and, and move it towards what kind of life I wanted to live so that was I think one of the first things that that helped me you know mm. move or transition from a more con- conventional day job into something a bit more self-empowering and I began to realize that that probably for me was only going to be achievable if I worked for myself uh, that's easy to say. I can't. You can't just stop what you're working. Well, you know, maybe you can. But uh, 20 years ago, I, I needed to build up a, enough experience, I suppose, to to be able to step outside of the, the workplace and, and offer my services, you know, on my own. So, uh, you know, this, again, I'm I'm kind of repeating myself, maybe, in that this was this was 20 odd years ago. So, for moving that forward, John, into something uh, or into in the current times, I think the next core shift for me was, um, as I said previously, about my my health and. Mm. Uh, again, when I started to get engaged with this topic, I began to realize that the the mainstream conventional wisdom of what it meant to be healthy um, seemed to very much, you know, reinforce big pharma mm. and the, con- you know, the conventional medical uh, perspective of how you, you know, have your health and wellness and diet. And, you know, that's fine. And, and I don't necessarily uh, disagree or dispute. Uh, you, you know, you can argue there's a lot of um, contradictory information out there as well. So it's quite confusing. So I felt there was uh, an under underlying appeal to authority there which is a recurring theme I suppose in in my journey so far which is outsourcing your own instinct as to what your own health is and relying on a third party to be the authority as to how you should be mm. healthy and I felt yeah okay but you don't live with me or you don't know what I eat day in day out or you don't know what my mind is like so the only person I felt who could really understand that was myself so I decided to go look why don't I undertake a journey of discovery and why don't I just try and learn a bit more about the mind and the body let's say okay Mm. Um, and that just led me to asking questions simple questions about diet and nutrition you know, we use the words like carbohydrates and low fat and sugar and all this kind of stuff. And we use it like everyone understands it. But, I'm, you know, I, I was going, well, I actually don't know what fat is. Like, I actually yeah, don't know what yeah. carbohydrate is, what is protein, you know, high in protein. And if you look at the advertising around food, they use certain key words and certain trigger words that that reinforce a certain message that is, is being presented. But... Mm. If you don't know what the words are being used or have a, some kind of fundamental understanding of it, then you're just relying on some third party to be looking out for your good. So, you know, it just led me to think, hang on a minute, um, how does anyone know what my, my own good is? I'm the only person who can really be an authority on that. So that just, you know, it was simple, it was simple questions, answer, question, mm. question, answer. So I realized that, hang on a minute, that certain things that we've been told about, you know, low fat high carb, walking, cardiovascular health. A lot of these things, there was a lot of contradictory, maybe alternative versions of of what you should be and should not be doing. And then I started to realize that there was almost two versions of 
uh, knowledge that are out there. Mm. One which is conventional, mainstream, perceived wisdom, which is very much about the collective common good, yeah, right? Yeah. And then there was the other one, which is, you know, for, for people in the mainstream, it would be seen as quite controversial, which is individual self-empowerment, bringing the scale of it down to your own individual experience and experimenting with with the information and the knowledge that's out there and applying it to your day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that began to unfold and unravel a whole new world of information and, and uh, resources that led me on, I suppose, this continuing journey of self-discovery, I suppose, self-empowerment, self-actualization, whatever. Mm. The inner work, you know? That's really interesting, Jim, because it sounds to me like it's a process and a journey as opposed to you just waking up one day and being enlightened. And many people will refer to that as the awakening process. And it's interesting because on our last episode of Alchemy, I was speaking to Saren Dreyer and we spoke specifically about this topic and I'd be very interested to get your view on it. It has been recurring time and time again when I speak to people, particularly over the last six months or a year, and it is with specific reference to the term awakening. What does that term mean to you? Is it a good term, a bad term? Like, I think there's an issue maybe of awakening versus remembrance. Awakening isn't particularly a term that, that I like. It's something that's bandied about within the truth movement or the alternative movement, whatever you want to call it. And I, I think it's almost, it's become a misrepresentation of what initially people meant by that. So when I say awakening, I mean the common perception of awakening, not necessarily as how I would perceive it. I think it's, it's about remembering what we are actually here to do and remembering the truths right. of our past that have been lost. To me, that, that's what an awakening is. But what does the term mean to you? Is it, is it a dirty word for you or is it something that you use? I'm just interested to get your take on it because so yeah. many people have so many different takes on it. Yeah, great question, John. Um, I suppose that it's, you know, as core for me, awakening is an understanding, um, sorry, it's an undertaking of a journey of discovery mm. as to the nature of reality. Okay, okay yeah. Um, so it's engaging with the topic that which leads to asking questions. Mm. And there's certain phases of awakening, if you want to call it that. But one of the initial stages is, is understanding that things uh, may not be as they appear to be. Mm. Okay, so that can be a scary experience for people. It can be an exciting experience. So you know, awakening, I suppose, is letting go of core belief systems. is is one of the things that happens. It's a it's a it's a version of deconditioning, that unplugging from mainstream accepted perceptions of what reality is, and this can be very unsettling. Yeah, you know, it can. And, and a lot of people walk up to the threshold of awakening and they, they pull the veil back a little bit and then they realize, I can't do this because my whole world will disintegrate, mm. you know. So I don't see it as a dirty word. I, I, you know, it represents, I suppose, a process. Depending on what age you are, this, this is another thing. What your life experience up to that point is. Mm-hmm. If, if, you know, some people can have an awakening at the age of five, you know. Some people can have it at 85. Yeah. It's really, I suppose, it's coming in contact with the boundary conditions of how reality is presented to us. And mm-hmm. we're equipped with innate radars, as you had said, something that is inherent in our core, right? That That's hardwired into our DNA, I think. And that, for some reason, 
maybe it's for nefarious reasons but those who wish to control us want us to forget that want mm. us to stay out of contact with that and they wish us to stay in a, in a lower state of consciousness to so that we can be controlled easier you know I think mm. that's that's a difficult thing to, to accept because the propaganda behind government and the state and wh- whoever wish to represent our best interests would they, they spin it in a way that they're look, always looking out for you Mm-hmm. where I think one of the first things that has to has to go is the appeal to authority mm. you know which is a common logical fallacy is, you know a, a, an appeal to authority basically is because somebody in a position of authority says it it is so therefore it is so mm-hmm. you have relinquished any investigation as to the matter yourself you haven't undertaken any critical thinking of your own and you just accept the third party's version of reality. So I understand, you know, this can be a troubling time for people. It can affect your relationships. It can affect um, how you interact with your job, you know, how you perceive the financial system, you know. So, yeah, it's... Uh, but, but that phase, the initial awakening phase, let's say, if you can manage to navigate that experience and come out the other side, leads to a deeper understanding mm-hmm. of you know, a more magical and richer world that we are are actually involved in, yeah. you know, yeah. which leads you into the territory of, you know, the next phase of that, which is a more spiritual enlightenment or, you know, deeper philosophical understanding of the nature of reality. That's where it starts to move into more exciting territory and you start to recalibrate your understanding of of what's going on and it opens up other dimensions of of understanding as to the nature of the human condition and how we interact with each other but also things that aren't necessarily obvious to the naked eye the more the more hidden realms of you know nature itself and mysticism and all of these ancient you know systems of knowledge that as you said, we're previous in, in and, and maybe not exoterically communicated, but mm-hmm. there is a layer of information that's available to us. And with, I suppose, we're one of the first generations, I would say, in two, three thousand years, who now have access to that information freely available. So is it almost like everything's already there within us? We're not asleep necessarily, but a veil has been placed over us by the control system, if you like, so that we're forced to perceive things slightly differently. And then the awakening, in inverted commas, is a lifting of that veil, an apocalypse of sorts. That's kind of what it yeah, sounds like as, that, you, as you describe a, it. That's a perfect way to describe it, I would say. And that, depending on where you're at in your life, that can scare the bejesus out of you, mm. or it can be the most exciting thing you've ever heard. And, and however you're invested, like that's another thing that I suppose is, runs parallel with this is that it kind of slaps you in the face to the point where you, you need to, I suppose, reassess or assess where are you investing your time, your energy, your creative spirit into. Mm. And the more you're invested in the pursuit of material wealth, um, conventional mainstream expressions of reality then the more resistance I think you will be Mm. to pulling that veil back but the less you are attached to those the more I think accepting you would be and understanding that the pursuit of this knowledge encompasses all aspects of of what you do and what's going on you know so I think there is a conspiratorial aspect to this and that's something I think when I started to get into this that was one of the roadblocks uh, towards me speaking about it openly was that the way that 
people who are resistant to change shut conversations down is just to say, look, this is all conspiracy, conspiracy theory nonsense. Mm. And, you know, effectively the conversation ends there. There's no real engagement as to maybe teasing these ideas out. And even if you're just asking questions, like for me, as you said at the start, I've no real agenda, you know. I just want to speak about what's going on or um, how to activate, you know, engagement with the nature of reality itself like that's this why would you be why would you find that controversial why why would you find that to be you know contentious so that's my agenda is just to speak openly and honestly about the nature of why we're here or what we're doing here so it's a philosophical conversation ultimately i couldn't agree more and i think that's where the cognitive dissonance the collective cognitive dissonance really kicks in and becomes obvious when you do attempt to engage on that level and you're suddenly met with the the conspiracy theory wall if you want to call it that and people are holding two opposing views because as we've just discussed there for the last few minutes there is an inherent knowledge a subconscious knowledge perhaps of the way things are in the natural order of things and then we have that veil that's been put over it and we have the world that we live in so to speak and we have society and we have the collective constructs that exist and they are in opposition to each other and if you have the subconscious working in opposition to the conscious mind well then it's much much easier for most people and I mean I would have certainly been guilty of this to a huge degree in the past to just ignore the issue and shut it down as you've described I think yeah and that that will continue to be the case, you know. And the way I reconcile that is, I I I try and be a, a man of honor, and my conduct is as important uh, as my words. So yeah, uh, and also I'm not really interested in in going around forcing this uh, this information on people. I find that those who want to hear about it or those who want to speak about it will will present themselves to you along your path so it's not really a case of i know this now i everyone else needs to know it and or else uh, you know there, there'll be war in so my, what in would you situation. say jim if, if somebody said to you or if i said to you now well surely you have responsibility mm-hmm. to tell as many people as you can so this is the mark passio the great work that mm-hmm. kind of line yes you've got to go out there and do it it's your responsibility yeah i think i i would be in agreement with speaking truth uh, as you as you understand it, yes. How you do that um, in terms of how you engage with the greater populace, mm. I think, is an individual choice. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're obliged. I think you're obliged to be truthful to yourself first and foremost, and to you know understand the nature or the difference between right and wrong, and and to be a, have a moral conscience basically. And I think the consequence of that is that people will begin to see or you know understand that <clears throat> you're a man of consciousness and that you're you're standing under natural law and that you don't wish to injure somebody else or take away their rights or subject them to your will that your conduct is is how you preach this mm-hmm. ultimately I understand somebody who wishes to take this on and, and speak about it publicly. And in, in look, we're, we're speaking on, on your show here about it. So yeah. in my own way, and that was part of the reasons I wanted to do my own podcast was that, yeah, I understand that, that motivation to, to change the conversation. And yeah, I, I, I'm in agreement with that. Uh, it's something I wanted to do. I felt the, the, the conversations on, on offer 
in, in that's you know, we keep going back to mainstream you know you know this and that but I think people understand what we mean by that yeah, you, know, you turn so, on the yeah. radio there it's very much about uh, keeping us in a state of fear yeah. or you know keeping us in a, a mode where the outcome is basically outsourcing your your own sovereignties to a third party to to look after you mm. right that just fundamentally is not my understanding of of empowerment or self actualization so I wanted to change that and the only way I, want, I could do that was speak it into existence I suppose yeah that, that's a, a small, really really poignant yeah. thing I think yeah. like if you, if you don't live it yourself first well you're not in a position to preach it and I think people do pick up on that as well I know with regard to music when I'm performing music in a live sense if you're feeling a little bit off on a particular day a crowd picks up on that there, there is just this, this something else there's the vibrational field or the resonance whatever it might be so do you think then Jim that if you're living an impeccable life and you're standing in truth that automatically it will awaken a spark in people around you without you necessarily having to bang the drum all the time mm, I don't know I don't know um, my my observation with speaking to people about a lot of this is that you reach a point of, as you said, a bit of cognitive dissonance and mm. that the conversation tends to get shut down more than it gets opened up. You know, I suppose another thing is that your your circle of influence is quite small, ultimately, uh, and that I think one of the one of the things I've, I've observed is that I want I want to be the best version of myself and and I, this is another thing I wanted to speak about is that there's maybe a perception about all this that it's 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 all about me 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 it's mm-hmm. all self this and self that um, what I'm talking about here is is doing what's regarded as the inner work which yeah, is yeah. you know it's it's kind of about getting your own house in order so understanding what are what are the things within me that are at odds with how I perceive reality and, and I'm, am I aligning myself with those core principles and so that's what I mean by self you know initiation or self empowerment which is yeah I totally just, get that. just kind of ensuring that I'm not at cognitive dissonance so mm. I think automatically the result of that is that there's a certain amount of freedom then that that comes from that or contentment I'm, I'm, I don't want to necessarily use the word happiness but mm-hmm. it's an automatic consequence of that so automatically I think you become a more peaceful person yeah fluidity right? of spirit maybe yeah, yeah. all of that all of that definitely and those around you then begin to see that this person isn't in conflict mm. you know I'd like to think that you know I have my my bad days and I'm grumpy and moody like like everyone but broadly speaking I'm not angry with the world. Mm-hmm. I'm, pe- I'm a peaceful person. I, I'm not aggressive. I, I don't wish to crush people and dominate. Mm. Um, I wish to sympathize and empathize with people and be compassionate. And as I said earlier, stand for something to be an honorable person in, in my business and personal dealings. So their conduct is really important because mm-hmm. words are one aspect of this definitely but how do you behave how do you interact with people mm. if you're constantly fighting arguing even though you're speaking truth you're just going around distancing more people you know and and fragmenting your your engagement where i'm i'm more interested in trying to bring people in and if that means you you just speak about certain aspects of this so be it 
So, Jim, it sounds like a real transition then to a free-thinking, spiritual individual, and it's not just an aspirational thing. It's something that has to be borne out in action then. With regard then to obstacles and opposition, you've already spoken about quite a lot of that on, on the journey and on the path, and that makes it quite an adventure indeed. What have been the really big ones for you, just on a personal level, because it's different for everybody. We're not all the same, and what might be a big deal to somebody is not to somebody else and vice versa. So what were the big ones for you? I mean... We know that you were in the job and that you have all this other stuff going on and you have the creative itch that you need scratching and you're aware of the control system that you're not necessarily au fait with and you want to break out from a little bit. So the biggies, what were the obstacles or the, the, the internal or external conflict? Yeah, um, I might just dial down the, the dramatic nature of that a sure. little bit because it wasn't as, as dramatic as that. It was mm-hmm. more of a process of unfoldment, I suppose. The big one, I think, for a lot of people is, is as I said earlier, what they're, what they're doing with their life. How yeah. do they earn money? How do they conduct themselves in business or commerce? So I, I had maybe an advantage in that. I had made that decision 20 years earlier. I wanted to work for myself. So that can take a long time for people to navigate out of. So, yeah, I, I think I had a head start in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I'd established a work practice that allowed me to continue to work for myself and to uh, fulfill my creative Uh, talent as a musician if you move it then into maybe more interpersonal relationships and conversations with people I think when I first started to come in contact with a lot of this information there was maybe a a desire to to speak about it to everyone and everyone and anyone and I soon found and look this isn't boohoo poor me but I just I soon found that there was a reluctance from people to Mm. to dig deeper when you started bumping up against you know as I said what was regarded as the official line on certain aspects of even world events or certain aspects of regards to health and wellness like let's say alternative remedies for cancer right. or you know once you start to even discuss the nature of cancer itself and, and what the treatments are people just will look at you as if you're crazy yeah and this was something I began to realize is that I was mindful of the fact that, you know, the more you start to speak controversially about topics, the more you can be perceived as being fringe and, you know, this guy's bonkers. Mm. So I decided just to dial out those conversations back. And actually something happened to me recently. I, I, I bumped into a friend of mine uh, maybe about a year ago on the street. And at that time I was I was getting really into law and finance mm. and the nature of the creation of money and stuff like that and I just got into an incidental conversation with him on the street and I was speaking about fractional reserve banking and you know bankers acceptances and stuff like this and I could see him looking at me going what can I curse on this show you can curse away what the fuck is this guy on about like he he was looking at me as if I was a completely different person and in some sense I am I'm, I'm constantly changing but he just wanted to talk about the ball game, or, uh, you know, and, and I have a good, con- I have a good relationship with the guy. And, and um, but after that, I actually felt, I'd have to say, kind of stupid, in that I was presenting the information in a way that just I was unable to connect. There was no bridge there, and a lot of what I was speaking about also, I had a very cursory understanding of. And I felt it was really premature of me to be just blurting it out. So I made a commitment in myself to before I speak about any topic again that I was going to do proper research and mm. proper understanding of it so I, I undertook um, you know a six month project of trying to understand the, the principles of law and finance 
just on the back of that conversation. Big oh, project. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then I was mindful, okay, there's so many layers to this, right? And it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and that you can bump into one person and, and they can maybe say one phrase or one word. So maybe it's about dropping little crumbs rather than broadcasting it. So mm. I tend to now just leave people with just a glimpse of a possible alternative to you know something in with regards to banking or or whatever world events just ask a question i think is probably the best thing you know i like that approach i would have certainly been somebody and still to a certain extent am who would have shouted from the rooftops um particularly in daily life and would have tried to force my view down people's necks which i it took me a while but I eventually realised that is not the approach it just simply doesn't work and I have learned from quite a number of people to try and take the approach exactly as you've described it and leave a crumb a question is quite often much better than preaching because people don't like to be preached I know I myself don't like to be preached if somebody tells me right you have to do something I'll generally rail against that whereby if somebody asks me can you do something or is it possible for you to do something I'll at least consider it then whereas in the first instance I'll quite often not consider it and I, I think that's a very a very kind of practical approach that you've just described to not manipulating but getting inside somebody's psyche in a positive way and, and let them <clears throat> awaken something within themselves as opposed to you trying to do it for them because I don't think we really can do that everybody has to undergo a process by themselves and to experience something is always a much better learning process than to be told something it's one of the reasons I have such a big issue with the so-called education system whereby it's it's generally rote regurgitation on a particular day and all of a sudden everybody is an, an academic genius if they can do that well and they're not if they can't to me, that's not learning. That's not education. It's the antithesis of that. Education and learning is about experiencing and figuring out for ourselves mm. what <clears throat> is right and what's wrong and what's truthful and not, what's not. So I think you very, very wonderfully articulated that. I wish somebody had been able to articulate that for me 10 years ago in the way that you just have. So that, that really resonates, I have to say, Jim. Okay. So <clears throat> you've, you've kind of touched on then a reconciliation between your current worldview, if you like, and that of your peers at large and how, you, how you've managed to deal with it in a practical sense in daily life. So in that path to individuality as opposed to the collective reality that so many of us live, what have been the key lessons for you? Are there any kind of standout things that the way you've chosen to live your life impeccably as you have previously described? There must be one or two. Yeah, John, um, um, you can feel free to put on the, the Homer Simpson uh, glasses now where you fall asleep because I've, <laughs> I've got about six or seven in no particular order and these are non-exhaustive and also um, constantly changing for me. So the first thing I would, I would say, one of the key insights I have is, is to be open-minded and don't be afraid to let go of deep-rooted belief systems. This is it's the fundamental principle of this path, okay? And it's, it's common across all of the, you know, ancient mystery schools of spiritual awakening, whatever. It's, it's the principle of emptying your cup, allowing your mind to adapt to new concepts. That's one of the, one of the you know, the maxims of awakening, I would say, mm. which is emptying your mind, but also understanding what am I holding on to? Because if you cannot shift perspective on that, there is no room for change. It's about transforming. It's about, you know, transmuting yourself. And this, there needs to be space for that to occur. So that's the first thing I would say. 
the next thing is and something you mentioned there which is um, resist the pull of the collective okay empire is not your friend yeah the, the program is set against growth and individuality <clears throat> excuse me and its purpose is to keep you in a state of fear and to lower consciousness okay so what's on offer is is a distorted version of reality or it's a you know it's a limited version of reality as mm. well so you know analyze your relationship with the collective and something that if this is hard to do because there's so much reinforcement of collective consciousness out there it's in every form of advertising it's in every form of you know the political paradigm and you know mainstream news or whatever so that's a difficult one okay is and fear it, the big enemy there yeah it, these are all individual understandings that you have to get to it's it's really just about taking a step back and analyzing your relationship with these things try and understand what's motivating you to do certain act is it based in fear or is it based in the opposite of fear which is love yeah um and, and you know this takes time it doesn't happen like you don't just click your fingers and go oh yeah i understand that this can take years like. mm. so i'm saying these as if oh you know this can take a lifetime before you might in, you might never be able to do these things like yeah. and i'm i'm still by the way i'm still completely in this you know process i haven't oh i haven't just emptied my mind and off i go i haven't just withdrawn from the collective like i'm still involved as you are you know in in loads of respects with these things yeah so it's an ongoing an analytical process i suppose the next thing i would say would be understand the concept of sovereignty right this is a big thing mm. um know what the word means and you know understand that this is your life you don't need permission from a third party to initiate this this can happen immediately right it's an internal process and understanding what it, what the word authority is like these are just these are words but they're fundamental principles of of spiritual awakening if you want to call it that and activating your will and another thing is cultivating self-governance self-discipline you know self-respect like if your own house is in a chaos then you, that just gets manifested openly in public right so understand who are you in control of yourself right who are you responsible for yourself and it all stems from this okay so that's that's a very key key aspect and actually i would say there's there's two aspects of sovereignty there's there's legal sovereignty mm. which i know is a topic that we could chat about for a long time and then there's spiritual sovereignty and they're similar but they're very different it's, it's you know spiritual sovereignty is more of an internal process legal sovereignty is is how you present yourself i suppose you know as a as a business entity almost mm. in the world and that but it all comes back to control of the self and, very much so and and, <clears throat> and self-governance really very much so um and a lot of these themes overlap um and you know those who are familiar with this uh, topic th this isn't necessarily you know a big revelation here um I would say also stay on the center path, okay? And what I mean by that is it's, it's understandable to go to the extreme on either end of the spectrum, depending on what topic you're engaged with. But don't necessarily always rush to judgment. It's okay not to know, yeah? Just seek, seek the truth. And you may not get to that for a long time. So you don't necessarily have to go to one extreme or the other. And there's a principle in martial arts, which is the concept of the center line. And the, the, the thinking behind that is all of your power comes from the center of your core. Mm -hmm. Because you're able to move either way in accordance with what's coming with you. If you're on one end of the spectrum, it's difficult to get to the other end quickly. So if you're in the center, 
you can adapt accordingly. And this also, you know, brings into the into the uh, your understanding the principle of balance and blending of the mind, body, spirit, entities, or your you know aspects of reality. That just makes that just makes sense. That's just you know common sense, I would say. Um, another thing I would say is understand the principles of natural law and know what your rights are under moral or natural law yeah not natural <clears throat> yeah. law versus the law as most mm. people know it and there is a distinction there can you just tell us a little bit about what that distinction is in case people may not know I think on a very very basic level yeah. natural law versus legal law mm. is God's law versus man's law yeah sure okay yeah God's so, law universal law whatever universal law moral law the boundary conditions of reality as it exists mm -hmm. which are immutable and, and unchangeable okay they exist for all time forever mm -hmm. end of story okay man's law is something that changes from era to era from one government to the next government words on a page words essentially. on a page this is just a dimension to to understanding this stuff that you may not be aware of that uh -huh. like natural law is a fundamental you know axiom of sovereignty and how do you interact with those systems what do you stand under this is difficult to comprehend sometimes. When you're operating in business or in commerce, are you operating as a free man on the land, sovereign? Or are you operating as a citizen of a state? Which is a completely different you know? thing. Yeah. And they can have a, they can have a profound effect on, on your life, basically. And this is a rabbit hole within a rabbit hole. This part of the journey is deep. And it, it really, like, this is something that I'm still struggling with, just even understand. But the basic principle is that you, 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 you have an inherent right to exist on the planet or in the universe. And just understanding the basic principles of that. And natural law is very much in line with the hermetic principles. Uh, um, your listeners are probably very familiar with that. Um, and just to make a note, I, I would love to chat with you maybe on another show about the practice of law. And I'd be more than happy. <laughs> yeah. This you, is a side thing. That you know me well. Anderson, yeah. Um, this is just a side, a side note. I, I just was reading, like, the, the, to practice in law, by the way, is a form or mode of proceeding in courts of justice for the enforcement of rights. And what I take from that is basically is how can you enforce a right if you don't know what your right is? Yeah. And law really is about the difference between what's right and what's wrong. And a right is something which, by definition, should be right. So if you don't know what's right and what's wrong, how can you enforce a right? So, you know, I'm kind of repeating myself here, but, uh, yeah, know your rights, basically. And I think it's also important to note there that know that your rights can't be granted to you by another person. Mm. Rights are an inherent thing, and there's natural law versus legal land. Nobody can write down on a piece of paper what your rights are and they become your rights so nobody can enshrine your rights in a constitution or in a statute book or in an act they're not your rights your rights are what you're born with and another person does not get to decide that yes and I'm in agreement with you however law op operates on the presumption yeah mm. under a presumption of law that if you if you have consented to the jurisdiction of yeah. the alleged authority therefore you are subject to and that's their the key thing the right. law versus yeah. natural law is consent and jurisdiction mm. two more things i just want to speak about one is the importance of being mindful mm. okay and in particular being mindful of others how you interact with them and you know just just simple 
kindness and compassion and empathy because we've spoken a lot about the self and the inner work but how that then should come back out and manifest into one of my experiences I, I now have a, I suppose a, a more heightened understanding of what, what other people may be going through mm. and I'm conscious that particularly as a parent as well you know that it's really all about trying to sympathize and empathize with the other people on this journey and, and looking how we're the same as opposed to how we're different. I think inherently people are good. There are just bad systems and that if we can maybe see past the system and start to see the people um, and try and connect with people. And I'm talking about simple things. You know, I'm just talking about day-to-day interaction with people. And I'm not talking about new age cheesy stuff. I'm just talking about, you know, where is this person at? They might be frustrated. They might be angry. They might be stuck in, in, a, in a work life kind of trap that they're unable to navigate out of yet. So mm. just trying to connect with that part of it and go, look, maybe just through your conduct or through your interaction, then you might alleviate some of that pain, you know? The last thing I would say is the importance of cultivating a creative spirit. Um, And not just as a concept in your mind, which is fine, you know, we can all have creative thoughts and to be a creative thinker is great, but I would go further and say develop habits that reinforce this. Right. Okay. So actually look at how you conduct your life and that your relationship with technology and your relationship with, you know, email, internet, iPhone, that for me these are all things that stifle creativity they take you away from you know your your inner artist Mm. um um, i have found that by cultivating creative spirit it gives you a kind of a insight into that sacred source of you know creation let's say or whatever the, the 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 spark that that kind of ignites the human spirit is alive in creativity. Do you think we all have that? There will be some people listening who think, well, I'm not a creative person. We hear that all the time. Do you think we all are? And it's just been stymied. Absolutely. It's, that's just a result of indoctrination. Mm. Okay. And that art and the artistic pursuit has just been categorized and and put into a genre, you know, for convenience so that it can be, you know, managed Mm -hmm. where we know we all have a, an, an inner, I or our inner self and we all have a, a unique take on the world mm. so for me being artistic really is just being honest it's expressing your version of what's what's effectively going on or how you interpret it right so it doesn't and I'm not saying go out and paint a picture you can do that obviously but it's just it's just thinking for yourself and being able to speak that to others mm. so some people find that difficult and they they put it in the form of symbolism or allegory and that can be very, very powerful because, as you said, it's sometimes dangerous to speak the truth because it, it can isolate you and it can polarize opinion, etc. So once you start to understand the messages and symbolism behind this stuff, you then start to look at other artists, artists as well and see that, oh, they're doing me really clever about it and mm. that there's lots of kind of hidden information in, in other people's work. And it helps you to, like, I'm not a filmmaker. I don't think I ever will be, but... I love watching films. I love unpacking the narrative and trying to see the subplots and, and how characters interact and stuff. And the reason I feel I can do that is because I, I understand the creative process. Mm. And that's, a, that's something I suppose I'm, I'm also um, speaking about is, is appreciating what it means to be an independent thinker. 
and to be asking questions. So th- th- this is all stuff that I think an artist or a creative is. Mm. And if we all start to do that, this kind of triggers this process naturally. You know, so when you say, oh, I'm not artistic, I'd go, okay, well, what about you do you feel is preventing you from thinking, really, <laughs> or asking yeah, questions? Yeah, sure. Because that's what it really means to be creative, I think. You know, that's my definition of what it means to be creative. Well, I think you're right. I, th- I sometimes think the, the opposite of creativity is repetition. Blind repetition of whatever doctrine has been passed down to us and I think that is the biggest stumbling block when it comes to creativity I think creativity is just a natural fluidity a natural flow of what should be as opposed to as you said the categories of art so you don't have to be musical you don't have to be able to paint the Mona Lisa in your sleep yeah that's not necessary you can be creative in so many ways to think for yourself is to be creative but so few of us have that skill We've, we've kind of We've unlearned that skill mm. through our lives. And I think, again, schooling is a huge part of it. But there are so many factors that mm. come into play. So I think that's a very, very powerful answer, Jim. It, it's a strong, strong mm. answer. And <clears throat> I've never heard it actually put in that way. And it just makes so much sense. It's very concise. I really like that. Thank you. It's a great lesson. Cheers. <laughs> so, Jim, I think you, you've almost left homework for the listener at this point. The lessons for individuality and those those key points that you've brought up there over the last 10 or 20 minutes are, are something that I'm certainly going to re-listen to and have a checklist. Well, have I applied that to my life? If not, what do I need to look at? What do I need to learn? What do I need to create with regard to it? And there's something that I've kind of sensed in your conversation to date, and you did mention the fact that you are a parent. Um, we've spoken about unlearning and the veil and that we inherently have a certain amount of knowledge that's just there that we unlearn mm. so as a parent how have you approached that unlearning process which there is inevitably with the world that we live in going to be a certain amount of that in every child but obviously you're mindful of it from day one mm. so how have you approached that challenge that's a big one yeah it's huge it's huge you know and it's something I'm still working on I continue to work on um, I suppose one of the first things that I began to realize was the nature of the relationship you have with your child is it, it's something I, I had and maybe an, an understanding of is that previously general perceived uh, understanding of you know your relationship with your child is that you're responsible for the child you own the child as such right mm-hmm. so you are the child's authority you you know what's best for the child you will direct it in accordance with your will and that will is in the interest best interest of the child right mm. and it's difficult to argue with that on, on on one level and on many levels that makes a lot of sense okay but where does the child fit into this mm. like yeah. and that's that's something i think i i started to that that started to emerge was that the child has a will has a spirit has a creative energy and rather than I suppose dictate to the child well I know what's best for you because you haven't evolved to the state of fire understanding or whatever so therefore I will I will channel all my insight and direct you in a certain direction so one of the biggest challenges I've had as a parent is letting go of my agenda and my will and trying to uh, understand and connect with the child's will and the mm. child's kind of journey and that might sound like a ridiculous thing for a child who's three or four but I began to realize very early that children are incredibly intuitive 
you know, and that they've a great understanding of morality and, mm. and also they, they've an incredible desire to learn and to ask questions. So I'm going, okay, this is the thing I want to protect. Um, I want to be a guardian and I want to be a, 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 you know, a co-creator in that with them. And I've found that I've learned an awful lot. It's, it, you know, there seems to be one-way traffic with kids. Like, I know it all. I'm, I'm responsible adult. So I have all the knowledge. You've got nothing. Yeah, you have so, no will to you're 18 or whatever. Yeah, that, that's, that's something I haven't experienced. I've found that the children's will is, has been a source of inspiration, actually. Okay. Actually. And, and I've, you know, trying to... There's the practical side of parenting and then there's the philosophical side of it. And I'm trying to reconcile both. But one of the big things that I suppose I've been able to achieve was is letting go of my authority over them. And that involves a little bit of, I suppose, ego being taken down a little bit and going, okay, well, look, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Um, then there's the practical thing. You know, they can't stay up all night. They have to get exactly. into the car. I was just going to ask you that. It's not a case of letting them do exactly no, what they want. No, of course not. No, no, it isn't. No. It's more of kind of tuning into where they're at and trying to enhance their talents and their curiosity mm. rather than shutting it down. You know, okay. I suppose there's like, you know, where where's the planets come from? You know, the Big Bang. Is, where's the Big Bang come from? And, um, you know, people don't. And then eventually you get to a point where it's like, just stop asking questions. Where... I try and keep it open as much as possible mm. and also admit that, look, I just don't know, you know, and what do you think? And it's it's more about a kind of a, you know, a bilateral like, relationship rather than I'm the authority and you're my subject, you know? That's really <laughs> interesting. We've all heard the old playground thing where my dad is better than your dad, my mom is better mm. than your mom, my dad knows everything, my mom knows everything. No, mine does, mine does. But you've actually described something very different there, which I, I've never heard spoken about with regard to parenting except maybe somebody like Lennon Honor who has spoken about something similar but it's actually admitting that you don't know everything mm. or that you could be wrong to your child so as you started the discussion about parenting with the understanding that you're not the owner and mm. you, you're not the person on the god pedestal you've willingly taken yourself down from that so you're a protector, a guardian or a protector rather than the owner. And it's just very interesting to hear that perspective mm. because it's not one, it makes complete sense, but it's not one that you hear very often. Yeah, and I suppose, look, I just came to that understanding just through my experience um, researching a lot of this, these principles. But from a practical level, it works because you're not constantly struggling with compliance with the rules mm. all mm. the time. And it's, you know, forcing your will on, on a child because it suits you, you know. And that that's hard to do. And there's so many times, we struggle with it every day, by the way. It's, it's, I'm not sitting around going, oh, let's chat about philosophy and morality to our kids. It's, you know, it's torturous sometimes. But it, there's an overriding, I suppose, philosophy to it that I try and adapt. And, and my wife as well, we try and adapt. And it, it, it's, you know, it's proven to be, uh, it just makes it a little bit easier for everyone that we're respecting their their will and their their rights I suppose you know after that I'm not quite sure you know I'm I'm still working it out myself and we'll see you know yeah. to, to be continued and I think this conversation will be continued in the future there's so much that we can speak about and I've no doubt that the listeners will have found so much valuable and resonant information in there as I have as we've spoken Jim I think there's been a real humanity in your answers which is quite often lacking particularly in the truth movement and when people are 
coming into a conversation with an agenda per se I'm not saying that everybody has but some people have we all have at times and there just has been a humanity which is quite often lacking um, it's the essence of what we are we're, mm. it, we, we're, we're spiritual being, beings we're humans if you want to call it that but uh, the way I see humanity is it's a spiritual essence and we have to live in daily life so we combine that then with the cognitive and we we then act upon our will provided we're harming nobody else there's the, the tenets of natural law mm. if you like so that has really rung through I've been absolute, absolutely fascinated okay. listening to your take on it and in particular how you articulate it because it's very different from how I've heard anybody else articulate such a broad conversation and it has been an extremely broad conversation we haven't picked one topic as we often do on the show and kind of focused on that and seen where it's led us we've just said right let's talk and let's have a general chat and it's been most most enjoyable and educational for me Jim so thank you very much for joining You're me welcome. in Alchemy before we go though yeah. Tell us about your podcast. Tell us about your music and your creative outlets because it's all about creativity, as we said. Yeah, well, the podcast is called MeltedSnow.net. Uh, so it's on MeltedSnow.net. And it's just basically me chatting with other people about what they do. Um, Conversations with, with, with creatives. Yeah, with yeah. an em emphasis on the creative process. So it's an ongoing project. Um, you know, it's really enjoyable. I put up maybe one interview every month or so. Mm -hmm. um, and then... Uh, the, probably the more important uh, creative uh, project I'm involved in is my uh, my band Sasso, and we have uh, been around for about 15 years, and we've uh, released five studio albums today. So our fifth has just been released, actually, as we speak. So I'm really excited about that. Some um, piano-based instrumental music, ambient kind of moody stuff so yeah really excited about that and you know just continue to be uh, a bit of a you know autodidact continue to ask questions and unpack uh, a lot of what's going on but on ongoing could I, could I just say John as well uh, thank you by the way the the Alchemy Radio show was one of the one of the shows that, that inspired me to, to go and do my own podcast so I think what you're doing is is, uh, is amazing and well I'm delighted you know, I um, mean it's it's a labour you know, of love but there's that yeah. spark that we spoke yeah. about you know? yeah it was great to hear somebody from Ireland you know speaking this stuff and you know your your insight and and knowledge is is phenomenal and I think you know as Roy Keane would say, all, all credit, all credit to you for <laughs> having the courage to get up and do something. You know, like the Alchemy Radio platform is, is jam-packed with some incredible guests, you know. So uh, I'd highly recommend people new to this to, to listen back to, to previous episodes. And Well, I appreciate yeah. that. It's the guests that make it and the listeners that make it. I merely provide the platform with Stevie, so mm. I'm, I'm really pleased that it has been in some way an influence along the yeah, journey, so hopefully it is for other people too. Thanks, Jim, so. thank you for joining me on Alchemy. I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Jim Lawler, it's been a huge pleasure. Thanks, John. Alchemy.
hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Alchemy. Remember, we rely on donations to keep the show in its current free and advertising-free format and are very, very grateful indeed for any help you can offer. There's no fixed cost on donations and it all helps, so if you could spare something small, even the price of a cup of tea every month, this would go a long way towards keeping us afloat. The donate button is on the website and your support and assistance is hugely appreciated. Thank you indeed to everybody for your recent help and support. We really couldn't do it without you. So until the next time, I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Alchemy. Alchemy. Care. Will. Intelligence. Imagination. Are you tuned in?